0: Joel Klatt, our buddy, our lead college football analyst at Fox. But before that, while he was here, mm-hmm. he did the studio show uh, sure. for the Rockies on uh, Roots Sports. And and Joel, I, I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, from your days covering the Rockies and being around the team, being around uh, Todd Helton, uh, what were you feeling yesterday when you heard the news that he's achieved baseball immortality?
1: Yeah, I, I, was, I was thrilled for him. <clears throat> he was, um, you know, when, when you're around a team on a beat uh, versus covering a team from a national perspective, um, it, it is, it's a lot harder. And, you know, they, they see you every single day. And, you know, whether they like it or not, they hear what is said, how they're covered, so on and so forth. Those were not good years. I can tell you that um, from a from a team and success perspective, and and he was a bit older. And I can tell you that there 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 were two individuals that could not have been more genuine, um, more gracious, and and just better people to deal with on a day to day basis than Todd Helton and Nolan Arenado. Th- those two guys were always upbeat no matter what was going on. And and Todd was struggling from a health perspective by the time, you know, I was covering him and he, he certainly wasn't what he was in his prime, but he was always such a professional. And, and I appreciated that and really enjoyed being around Todd Helton a lot. Um, one of the things that I will always remember is he knew what I did in the fall. Um, and so every time, that we would cross paths, we would immediately start talking college football, obviously from his past. And, and he would he would ask me what I thought about Tennessee, and we would chat about college football, and I I always really appreciated that. And on the baseball side of things, I, I always thought that he was going to be a, a fringe candidate, and, and I'm just thankful that, that he ended up getting in. I do think it brings up a larger conversation because when when a guy like Todd, who I think deserves it, gets in, uh, I think that it can be a, a good debate and a conversation that's worth having, at least at this point, so far removed from the steroid era about the guys that aren't in and, and are being kind of blackballed from, from the Hall of Fame that, that clearly were the best players of their generation. But I'm certainly happy for Todd, there's no doubt.
2: Yeah, you got, you talked to uh, a lot of college football with Todd and Mike, and I have been kind of uh, talking about a couple guys that that are high on our kind of free agent priority list at the quarterback position that you covered all through college, and obviously you had uh, your draft preparation. So just kind of some thoughts on both Sam Darnold and where he is right now in his career and the rehab that he went through football wise with Kyle Shanahan, and then Mac Jones kind of probably needing some of that football rehab in a new organization. What do you think about those two as potential players here in Denver?
1: So if I were to go back to just their just their straight draft grade, Sam, Sam had a much higher grade than than what Mac Jones would have had. Um, Mac had one great year of college football, and it was a very unique year of college football. Remember, he... he had that great year in COVID and that was, now you could say that it was more difficult because he just played an SEC schedule and and that might be fair, but it was also a year in which, you know, you, you had multiple players that would be out due to COVID every single week. And he had an, an amazing team and not to say that Sam didn't, but I just thought Sam was a better prospect coming out. I thought that the fit that Sam was forced into out of college, you know, with, with the Jets was just a disaster. Um, and this, so much of this is about fit. When I look at guys around the league that, that can have success and can have success into the playoffs, can have success with a guy like Sean Payton, I think Sam Darnold would be on that list for me. He was always a very smart player, he was always very accurate um, with the football. And when you see the way that he played it at, at times and in stretches with San Francisco, I think that there's some glimpses there. Now you've got to take that with a grain of salt because how many quarterbacks have played their best football under Kyle Shanahan? And specifically, you know, this is a team that is succeeding with a guy that was Mr. Irrelevant. You know, there's a lot of weapons on that team. They've got the best um, tackle in football and running back in football and, um, I would say like kind of adjuster type of player and Debo Samuel, they've got a great time. So clearly it can be easier to succeed and play quality uh, at that position with this team and with this play caller. Having said that, and I think Baker Mayfield is a bit of an example of this is like that there are opportunities in this league for guys that don't succeed at some places to go on and have success at others. And, and I, I think, I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but I think Sam could be one of those guys.
0: I'm asking not only the evaluator in you, but also the Bronco fan in you. And as somebody who also has a pretty good vibe about <clears throat> what uh, what Sean Payton might like, if I gave you your choice between you can have Sam Darnold and the 12th pick to go out and draft another player or Bo Nix, what would you choose? Man, that's tough. I would,
1: I would probably take Nick's, but that's a that's a that's a really tough one. Um, I, I, mean, Knicks fits Sean really well, you know. And I talked about this, you know, previously with you guys about one of the things that Nix is so good with is his cerebral nature of of understanding where to go with the football. Bo is more comfortable with five free releases than he is um, a, let's say a seven man protection and three free releases, you know, and, and that's basically saying like he's better when, when everybody is out and he's protecting himself, he's protecting himself with his mind and the schematics versus, re, you know, re relying on a max protection in, in order to get the ball out. I think that's more where Sean is comfortable is a guy that wants to play that way that is accurate in the short and intermediate zones that has a quick release that wants to play as more of a point guard. Um, and, and to, to me, that's a guy that could have a lot of success. Um, he's very mature. Um, he's got a great head on his shoulders. He's very experienced. He checks a ton of boxes. And then the the kicker is that he's athletic as well and, and he can hurt you with his legs. So, in this day and age, it's almost becoming uh, a must, a requisite at this position. What we used to say, uh, what, what we used to call a knock, the athletic quarterback, then became like a, well, that's great if he can. To now it's like, well, he better be able to. You know, the evolution of this position, the evaluation of this position at this level has been really interesting to see over the last 10, 12 years.
2: Joel Clatt, join us. Presented by Audi Flatirons. You know the th- the thing about that that's really interesting to me, Joel, about just the athletic quarterback is I've always had this kind of perspective that I want a quarterback first that happens to be an athlete. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's an athlete that we try to make a quarterback, and I think that's where I think that's where the disconnect comes because I think your default mechanism when you're an athlete first is always athleticism. Where the default mechanism for the quarterback should be from the neck up like that. You should be able to make the decisions. And I think that's, that's the part that, that, you know, for me, I I always look at going, I want a guy that, that obviously can operate from the neck up. And you say that Bo Nix feels like that's, that's what he is for you. He is. I mean, he started 61 times. They gave him a lot of autonomy
1: at the line of scrimmage. He would check plays. And I was talking with Dan Lanning and, and so To give you an idea, uh, their coordinator uh, at Oregon is a guy named Will Stein. Will Stein is a young guy that came from UTSA, and he was just there for a year after Kenny Dillingham was the coordinator under Dan Lanning in their first year. And then Dillingham went to Arizona State as the head coach. Well, Will Stein came from UTSA. But his history was that he was actually a backup quarterback under Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville. And when he was at Louisville, he played for a guy named Sean Watson. John Watson happened to be my quarterback, coach, and offensive coordinator. I know the offense that Will cut his teeth under. I know the way that Will was taught. So when I get together with Will and I talk about you know, his players and his team, we immediately get into a groove that's much deeper. I'm sure you, you have instances like this, Mark, when you're talking with guys. When you have a similar system to what you use, you can immediately – start riffing in terms of language and getting into a deeper conversation than than others. If you maybe didn't participate in an offense that used that language. Mm -hmm. So Will and I can get into some really good conversations very quickly. When I was talking with Will and we were in person actually on the Friday before the Utah game this year, when Oregon and Utah played Will and I started talking about just the responsibilities that, that uh, Bo has at the line of scrimmage. And and Will said he, he controls more at the line of scrimmage than Teddy did at Louisville. And Teddy started for, I believe, three years at Louisville. and And he marveled at the ability of Will to understand and manipulate specifically protection. And that's a nuance that is lost on a lot of college quarterbacks. And so while he does a lot of things well, our conversation centered around his ability to understand, manipulate with his mind, the schematics of the game from the pocket on the field without the coaches. That is a trait that translates because it's a must at the next level. As you know, you've got to be able to handle and operate the system and manipulate the system within play calls and concept calls uh, during specific times in, in the game, and he certainly can do that.
0: As uh, we look ahead to this weekend, uh, four interesting teams, two interesting matchups. Who do you like?
1: I like Baltimore, and I like San Francisco. I like this. the The, the Lions are not as good as the Forty Nine ers. They just aren't. They will not have the home crowd. I could see them not playing very well in in this game. And I know that that might be, you know, an unpopular opinion, but Brock Purdy got away with not playing great last week. I believe he'll play much better this week. That's a game plan and a coach that really understands what they're doing. I like San Francisco and I like Baltimore. Kansas City, you know, Mahomes is dragging that team along. Dragging that team along. They have no wide receivers. And you better have a very complimentary and pretty sophisticated offensive attack structure. If you're going to beat that Baltimore defense, I'm intimately knowledgeable about that defense because I knew Mike McDonald in his first year at Michigan and we sat down and he showed me the schematics of that defense. They will take away the run. They will force Kansas city to, to make plays specifically at the wide receiver position. And I just don't think that they can do that on a, uh, on a consistent basis I think that on Monday we're going to be talking about the wide receivers let Patrick Mahomes down. So I think we're getting a Baltimore San Francisco Super Bowl.
0: All right. Oh, and real quick, oh. uh, where where are you at now with Josh Allen? That seems to be a very very big debate going on uh, all around the football world. Um, where are you at with uh, Josh Allen? Um,
1: I I think that Josh runs into to guys that do it better than him, and yet. There's nowhere for Buffalo to go. You know, he's just going to have to get better. The first and second down throws uh, that he, he made or didn't make at the end of the game, he's got to make those. Those are, you know, at, at, at some point in those games, and you guys know this, we all know this to a certain degree, it comes down to a throw. You've got to make the play, and he doesn't at least since that divisional loss in overtime. Remember the, the overtime game, he played incredible, and everyone was like, oh, he's going to be the best player in, in football because it was just the rules that got him. He never touched the ball. He didn't not make the play. But since then, he turns the ball over too much in the red zone. And and yet, you can give this entire dissertation there's nowhere else for them to go. Like, there's no better option. What's Buffalo going
2: to do? Move right. on? Yeah. So, so who? Yeah. Let me ask you this then, that because that's the case, and I, and I was saying this yesterday uh, on some radio show. I was saying you're not going to out Mahomes Mahomes like that. Like that's a dumb strategy. So then does it become you got to look at a different coach? You got to look at a, a coach. Does he become as Mike and I were talking about yesterday? Doug Collins with. Uh, You know, with Michael Jordan, do you need need somebody else to get you over the top from a coaching standpoint?
1: He's always compared to Elway, so let's compare him to Elway. When did John finally have Super Bowl success? When he had a coach that didn't rely just on his ability. Now, granted, he was older at the time, but what did Mike Shanahan do? Mm -hmm. He built an athletic offensive line, even with you up there, and a running game that was the best running game in football. And... That's what ultimately allowed, and then it allowed John to just play within a framework. I think that they require Josh to be Superman too often, and you're right. He's not Mahomes. He will not out Mahomes Mahomes, and so to, to some degree, I think that they've got to look at the structure of what they're building offensively and, and think about how to give him Not more help. It's not about more help. It's about a different philosophy. Yes. And if he can then, you know, mold himself to that philosophy, he can win a Super Bowl. There's no, he's got the talent. Uh, It's just not working right now with their current combination. Hell, Elway had to lose three Super Bowls, you know, and go through some painful years before they actually got it right.
0: Good stuff, Joel. Appreciate it. Thanks, pal. You bet. See you guys. Joel Clatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. Lots to unpack, including. Is it, is it starting to become clear that if Sean Payton picks a quarterback, it'll be one guy, and that guy is becoming clear who it would be? That's next.